You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. You would turn to the book of Luke as we continue our study in Luke, and we're now in chapter 3. Thursday, we had our Christmas Eve service, and Justin talked to us about the birth of Christ. Luke takes quite a bit of skip in history as he leaves the birth of Christ and we move on to chapter 3 as he talks about John the Baptist. And we'll be discussing chapter 3 and the role that John, as we know, the baptizer played in the coming of the Messiah. So we're introduced to John. We're introduced to a man who all accounts seem to be very unusual. In Matthew chapter 3, he talks about specifics of the way he dressed, the way that he, he conducted himself, the things that he ate. And as a child, that's most, the most prominent thing I remember in, the, in Bible class. And uh, of course, those of you that are older like me, you remember flannel graph? In the Bible class, they'd stick the figure up on a piece of felt and it'd be a, a man that had on a camel's hair. And we talked about what he would eat, locusts and honey, and that would totally gross out the kids. And, and that's the memory that a lot of us carry with us about John the Baptist. But yet there's much more to the man than that. It's much, much more. Jesus said this about John. In Luke 7, verse 28, I tell you, all who have ever lived, there is none greater than John. What a statement. What a compliment. That comes from Jesus. That no man was ever greater that lived than John. Here's some things that make John great. He was great because his life was lived for God. He was a chosen instrument. And he was trained by God for a very specific purpose. Things to know about him, he was born in Bethlehem. He was a second cousin of Jesus. His dad was Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest of the temple. And his tradition would be, John would follow in the footsteps, he would be a priest as well. But here's some things you may not know. Priests began their training at the age of 20. And they didn't begin their ministry until 30. Ten years of preparation to become a priest. But John didn't follow the normal procedures. He didn't get trained in the temple. God took him to the wilderness. This wilderness was located at the north end of the Dead Sea. There was virtually nothing out there. You had some nomads that lived in the area and John lived like they did. That's why he wore the clothing that he did. He ate with the food he did. That's about all that was available. But John trained in the wilderness as God got him ready. Ten years. Approximately ten years. So as you, you think about when Jesus started his ministry, he was around 30 years old, right? So he was being prepared as well for his ministry. So now John, who's a few months older, 
is being trained out in the wilderness by God, and then he enters into his ministry. And something else we tend to skip over. John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Some don't call him a prophet, but yet this is what Jesus said in verse 16 of Luke, thir- of Luke 16. So it's Luke 16, 16. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, this is Jesus speaking. Until John the Baptist and the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom is preached and everyone is eager to get in. John had a purpose. It had been 400 years since God had spoke. 400 years when God spoke to John. There had been a 400 year gap in God speaking. But yet He spoke to John. And it gave John a message that 400 years of silence was stopped because it was the time. It was the time to bring the Messiah. And John would introduce him. So the ministry of John begins in Luke chapter 3. In verse 1, we read about the historical and the political and the religious setting. John, Luke goes through and tells us who was in charge in the Roman Empire, the Roman emperor, the Roman governor of the region, the Jewish king, the Jewish governors, and the religious power brokers. All these people, you will see their names again and again throughout the Gospels because they would be involved, especially the Jewish king Herod, the governor of the area, of, uh, the Roman governor, that is, Pilate, and these Jewish governors, and specifically the high priest. Annas, who is retired high priest, but he maintained a lot of political power, and his son-in-law was Caiaphas, who was the acting high priest. You'll see those two names again when Jesus goes to trial. But Luke gives credibility to his writings because he gives you historical facts, and as Justin brought to us a few weeks ago, this gospel was written years after Christ had ascended back to heaven. So he's given credibility to his writing. So these, what we see here, God takes people to the most obscure places they would never dream they would go or do to carry out his will. It doesn't make sense. But Paul writes about human reasoning and God's reasoning in 1 Corinthians 1. It says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved is the very power of God. God takes us down a path we don't always understand. The why and wherefore is, but He will show us if we'll trust in Him. So then verse 3 of Luke 3. Let's read this together. Verse 3. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and had turned to God to be forgiven. Why the Jordan River? Everything you read about the Jordan River, it's, it's not a pretty sight. Muddy, dirty water. Why the Jordan? Well, John was baptizing in that same section of the Jordan River where the children of Israel had crossed the Jordan into the promised land. When Joshua led 
the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, out of, out of the wilderness and they crossed the Jordan, they left a life behind and went through that water to a new life, a new land, a new opportunity. A lot of symbolism there. And John was baptizing in the same section of the river. And as he was preaching his message of repentance, it's really ironic where he was doing this. Baptism is a controversial subject for a lot of folks. Talk about immersion, talking about sprinkling, you're talking about the reason for immersion, what it actually does. But baptism actually had its origin in Jewish culture, not Christian culture. It wasn't something new. When Gentiles were converted to Judaism under the old law, they become proselytes. In order to go through that process, they had to be go through three things. They had to be instructed. Males had to be circumcised. And then lastly, they would be immersed into a pool of water. But a Jew would have to baptize the Gentile. A Gentile could not baptize another Gentile. And then the Jewish people would have ceremonial cleansings for themselves. The baptism that the Gentiles underwent was for their ceremonial cleansing. But if a Jew would go to the temple to worship, they would dip themselves into a pool, not just to clean their body, but a ceremonial cleansing before they'd be able to enter into the temple. So they'd have these pools set up nearby the temple so people could do that. They'd also go through a baptism or a washing if they had touched a dead body or anything that was considered unclean. So there's a lot of symbolism to it all. So when John began his ministry and he's preaching repentance and he's baptizing Jews and Gentiles, it was shocking because he broke protocol amongst the religious people, the Pharisees particularly. They didn't like what was going on. But John was preaching a message he was told by God to preach. See, John's baptism was a baptism of preparation. It was not a baptism of transformation. It was a baptism to prepare their hearts, the teaching to prepare their hearts for the Messiah that was coming. He pointed the way to Jesus that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Later on, Paul encountered people in his journeys in Acts chapter 19 who had never even heard the Holy Spirit. And he talks about in verse 1 of Acts 19, when Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, they replied, we have, haven't heard since we have never heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Then Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. 
As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when John, later on here in chapter 3, verse 16 again says, he, he, he's comparing his baptism to that of Jesus. So John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I. So much greater that I'm not worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we're going to come back to this in a, in a little bit. But notice what he said. John said this about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Transformational. The transformation that takes place when we accept Jesus by faith of our Savior. Jesus promised that He would give us, He would send us His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And we would be immersed by the Holy Spirit. And at that point, the Holy Spirit had taken up residence within an individual spirit. But see, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conflict about that. Because what people look at Scripture and what they've always been told, they don't know how to figure out both. But Jesus releases the Holy Spirit into us, into our hearts when we believe Him. And this transformation takes place. Paul said, it's no longer I, but He who lives in me. And that's why I could say that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not ceremonial. It is cleansing. It's life-changing. Now, Acts 2.38 is a, is a verse that many have used to see the necessity of baptism. But the necessity is placed in a particular phrase that is not what it was meant to be read as or accepted as. So in Acts 2.38, if you read the Amplified Version, which to me makes this much more clear, and Peter said to them, Peter preached the first gospel sermon. He presented the gospel to these people. Over 3,000, it was thousands, 3,000 obeyed that first day believed in the gospel but as Peter preached about Jesus the crowd said brethren what are we supposed to do what are we supposed to do now because their hearts the scripture tells was touched because they realized they had been a part of rejecting the Messiah so Peter says this repent and change your old way of thinking turn from your sinful ways and accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah. Repent. Turn from your old way of doing things. And start following Jesus the Messiah. And be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Follow Jesus. And be baptized because you have repented. Because you have been forgiven. See, we're to be immersed because we're forgiven. Not to be forgiven. Does that make sense? We're immersed, we're baptized because we have been forgiven. When I accept Jesus as my Savior, and here's the, the point that is left out a whole lot of times by preachers and teachers. 
The message of John was to repent because people are simple. Jesus prayed that we and taught that we were to repent and accept His grace. The grace of God is the forgiving part. He forgives us. But we're still to repent and turn away from our old way of living. But when you teach that the baptism itself it saves you, then you're basing all the salvation on the water. On the water. And I've seen people say, we got to get them baptized. we got to get them baptized. I never taught them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never taught them about grace. Just got them wet, and then they ought to be good with God and turn them loose. You ever dipped a dog? Get the ticks off of it? That's what it did. It dipped the dog in a chemical, and you got the ticks off. We used to worm cows and try to, we put up things for the cows to walk under. We were supposed to put a, a chemical, but my dad would put diesel. And it was this burlap rope and the cow would walk underneath it and get diesel all over their back and the flies would leave them alone for a short time. But that's what it did for a short while. When we dunk somebody and convince them that's what saved them, they never experienced the Holy Spirit. They never experienced all the things which God intended to happen. Is baptism necessary? Yes, it is, because Christ Himself said do it. But Romans 10 10. Romans 10. If you believe with your heart, you confess that He is Son of God, you'll be saved. It's the faith that we believe that he, is, he will save us. And He is who He says He is. John the prophet, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 3, John says this. Isaiah had spoken about John. There was prophecy about John himself. He said, He is a voice shining in the wilderness. Prepare for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for Him. He goes on and talks about how the valleys would be filled and the hills were made level, and the curves would be straightened out, and the rough places made smooth. Then all the people will see salvation sent from God. If we look at the passage, passages in Scripture of Jesus' Word, how He taught, and what He taught, and go further and study the New Testament doctrine, and we study doctrine and not creed, we see the truth. Jesus is the Word. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He existed with God in the beginning. See, Jesus is the Word, and everything was created through Him and by Him. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. But yet, in verse 6 of John 1, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell the light so everyone might believe because of His testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. That's what and who we are. We are witnesses. Witnesses of the light. We show people the way to the truth. And if we're not doing that, 
we're not fulfilling what God has purposed for us to do. It's about being the servants of God. And look at verse 7 here in chapter 3. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and have turned to God. Wow. John called these folks who were the religious leaders who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees who had created, Garth was 300 some odd extra rules to follow to the old law in conjunction with the old law. They were the ones he said, you brood of snakes. Fake religion is what he's telling them. You don't prove, you don't prove your religion by the things you do and follow. He says you, you prove it by repenting and then how you live. How you live. See, it's a part of the heart. And he said here in verse 8, don't just say to one another, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, acts of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots from the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. We have the same attitude that exists today among our Christian world. Those who are pious and self-righteous who have all the answers and they follow the rules that were made to the T. They're called creeds. The do's and don'ts within denominations. They follow the rules. They keep count on who doesn't. And this is a veneer they have over them called legalism. And I've said this before, you know what you know. But if you limit what you know, it's your fault. You've got to get into the Word of God. And you've got to read the Word of God. You've got to pray that the Spirit opens your eyes and shows you what He really means for His truth to mean to you and how to mean it. If we're hanging on to how our parents believed or how our grandparents believed or, and we don't search and find out for ourselves, then we're walking around with a millstone around our neck. We're carrying on the burden of our ancestors and our past. I lived it, I understand, but I've also been released. Life changing. So the question is, do I still hang on to those things? See, I, I'm going to say something that probably is offensive, but I'm like, what I do admire about John, he said it like it was. And that's my personality. And I try to keep it in a subtle way. But if I claim to be Again, take it this way I'm giving it, okay? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a believer. I'm not a Baptist. I'm not a Methodist. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a member of the Church of Christ. I'm not an Assembly of God. I am a child of God. And I'm going to follow 
His Word. Not the creed, not the beliefs that someone else has set up for me to follow. Okay? Does that make sense? That's my heart. I'm not saying people aren't saved. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, I choose not to wear those labels. Because a lot of things that are involved there, man has come up with. We need to follow God's truth. We need to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. We need to be committed to Christ. Committed to His church. We've allowed COVID to get in the way. We have people that won't come to worship, but they'll go to work. They'll go to Walmart. We got in the habit of not going to worship, but we're commanded to go to worship. Either on, and, and we're doing this, people who are online now, or here at the body. But you need the body. You need the body. The church was designed to be that way. God instituted it. God expected it to be done a certain way. And we need each other. I'm not talking about people got health problems and are unable to get out. But don't use COVID as an excuse to remove yourself from the presence of God. You say, well, two or three gather in my name. Come gather with the rest of us. Go somewhere. You need the people of God. So as John continues his ministry and here in verse 10 and 14, remember, John spent 10 years getting ready. And his ministry is going to last a few months. God had a purpose, and that purpose to use John for a short period of time. Jesus was being prepared. His ministry lasted around three years. Here in verses 10 through 14, the crowds ask, okay, Johnny, toast to repent. Now, what are we supposed to do? He said in verse 11, you need to share. Verse 13, you need to care for others. Number 14, put others first. Don't try to intimidate people. In verse 14, then that verse said, be content. Don't take other things from other people. Be content with what you have. And we'll see the same message come from Jesus later on. And they ask Him in verse 15 and 16, are you the Messiah? See, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know where John might be the Messiah. So John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I, so much greater I'm not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There are three baptisms mentioned here. Water. Number one is water. Baptism of John, that is, the symbolic cleansing of repentance. The second, Holy Spirit. The transformational change. That's the second baptism. The third one is fire. The fire of the coming judgment. That is the, my belief of what this is saying. The, the purification that will come to this world when Jesus returns the second time. The baptism of fire for the coming judgment. 
God will purify this wicked world when Christ returns. Verse 17 and 18. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, put the burning chaff with a never-ending fire. And John used such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. And then in verse 20 and 22, we see where Jesus himself comes to John. On one day, the crowds were being baptized. Jesus himself was baptized, and he was praying the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. See, right there, as I was reading that, how I memorized that verse came into mind. It was a different version. My beloved son. Why was Jesus baptized? Why? He was, just, he was deity. He was the sinless one. He didn't have nothing to repent of. Jesus answered this in Matthew chapter 3. As Matthew writes about the baptism of John of Jesus. John there, Matthew tells Jesus, I don't need to baptize you. You should baptize me. And Jesus said this in Matthew 3 and verse 15. Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So, Jesus, so John agreed to baptize him. If there's an argument why we need to be immersed, it's right here. We must carry out all that God requires. And he asks that we do that. Because we're showing our faith. We're showing our commitment to others when we do that. So here are the three reasons I believe why Jesus was baptized. Number one, to identify with us. He identifies with us. He's the sinless one. And he can identify going through this process because it's what God had asked him to do. Hebrews 4 talks about how he understands our weaknesses and what we go through. The second reason, to verify that Jesus was the Messiah. For John's benefit. Even though they were cousins, he wasn't sure who exactly he was and what he was doing. But Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 2 says this, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Isn't that what happened at the baptism of Jesus? The Spirit came in the form of a dove. And John was witness to this, and he was witness to what God said. The third reason to prophesy. It was symbolic of the event that was to come. Now Paul writes about this in Romans 6. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is what we symbolize when we go through a watery baptism. That doesn't save us, but it, we experience that. And Jesus was prophesying here how he was going to die and raise from the dead. He'd be buried. He'd come up out of that grave and walk again. And Paul describes this in Romans 6, verses 1 through 6. Here at, the, at this baptism, all three members of the Godhead were present. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
They were all there at the baptism of Jesus. And all are there with you when you accept Christ. They're all three a part of your salvation. Because all are active. Jesus has given us His Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us it's a pledge of, his, of our inheritance to lead us, to guide us. And so as we end, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. As we conclude this morning, do you feel like that all three are, are with you? Is the Trinity with you? If I feel that they're not, then I need to go back to the basics. I need to repent. I need to repent of whatever that is that's keeping me to have a relationship with Jesus. And repent. If I let other things get in the way of my relationship with Christ, I need to repent. That's not a popular message. You go to Joel Onstein's church, he's not going to say anything about repenting. He's going to talk about giving and receiving wealth. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we're away from the Lord, we need to repent. And we need to accept His grace of forgiveness and live our lives for Him. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.